It's time now for the Pulpit Hour, featuring some of God's choice preachers. Stay tuned at the end of today's message for information on how you can obtain a copy of today's sermon. Now, let me just say this, and I want to read the verse and then bring the message for the night from the Word of God. Remember, as you study the book of Job, Job does not know what's going on in his life. You and I have read the book. We've read it. We know how the outcome is. But Job didn't. Job did not even know that God had turned the devil loose on him. And he did not know what the end would be. I mean, he lives through this thing day after day. As uh, you and I read the story, you know, we've not heard what happens, but Job had not heard it yet. He's living it. And Job faces a real crisis, several of them in his life, in this book here. But in chapter number 3, I want to pick up one verse of Scripture, but hold on just a moment. In chapter number 1, you know how Satan has appeared before God as the uh, sons of God did? And uh, God said to the devil, where have you been? He should have been going forth, up and forth, back and forth, down through the earth. And God said to him, have you considered my servant Job? He's a just and upright man. And the devil said that you've got a hedge around him and I can't touch him. I'm preaching out of a new Bible. I haven't written it in yet. But in my old Bible, I've got written on the side of that verse, thank you, devil. I would have never known God had a hedge around me if the devil hadn't told me. You know, you and I talk about, uh, and oh, I shouldn't say this, but let me say it anyway. As children, we said it. I hope it's not been going on since then. But uh, we let one slip. One of them little lies, you know. Now, y'all don't die on me yet. It's not dying time. And what we're saying is, we don't supposed to tell him, but ever once in a while, one just slips out. Now, you saints hang around. I'll be back in a minute. I'm dealing with sinners right now. It's our nature to be honest. We're saved. Well, it's the devil's nature to be a liar. But the devil let the truth slip out. One time, and saints have been rejoicing over it ever since then. And so the devil said to God, you got a hedge around him. And I can't touch him unless you permit me to. The only person I know a preacher that lives in the permissive will of God is the devil. He has to get God's permission for him to do anything to any of God's children. So in chapter number 2, God said to chapter 1, you can go out and... Destroy everything he's got. But don't touch him. Don't touch him. And so he loses it all. Chapter number 2, the devil appears again in the presence of God. And God said, where have you been? He said, been down the earth. And the devil said, if you consider my servant Job. And he said, Job doesn't serve you for aught, for nothing. He serves you because you bless him. If you would afflict him, Touch him. Plain language, he said, if you'd let me at him, he'd turn his back on you. 
And God said, Mr. Devil, I'm going to lower the hedge. I'm going to let you in. And you can touch him. You can afflict him. But you cannot take his life. And so Satan goes down and attacks Job. Boils from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. All these other things. And if I could use today's language, it's like he's in a situation where he prays and God doesn't answer. There's three quote-unquote good friends come by and all they do is accuse him. And Job finds himself in the dilemma such as that in verse number 25. I will look at his thinking here in verse number 25. Then take a text and preach from this verse tonight. Genesis chapter, pardon me, Job chapter 3 and verse number 25. Job said, For the thing which I greatly feared is come upon me. And that which I was afraid of is come unto me. Keep your Bible open. Let's bow our heads and hearts for just a moment of prayer. Then the message for this hour from the Word of the Lord. Our precious Heavenly Father, again during this evening in Thy presence at the throne of grace and mercy, I bow before You to pray. I do want to say thank You, Father, for the joy of salvation. Thank You again, Lord, that You let me be born in America, that You let me hear the Gospel, and that You save me by the marvelous grace of God. I want to thank You this evening, Father, that You call me to preach. You've put me in the ministry, and You've given me the joy that I've been knowing and serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, as I come to this pulpit tonight, my desire is that I might honor Christ and help the church through the preaching of the Word of God this evening. Lord, I seek no fame, I seek no gain, but I want to magnify You and Your Word and help Your people in this critical hour that we are living in. I pray You save sinners, and Lord, You strengthen saints through the preaching of the Word of God tonight. Give me leadership, give me liberty, give me power. May the presence of God be real. And may you speak tonight to our hearts from your Word. And for what you do for us, Father, I will bless you and praise you because I pray it in Jesus' name. For our sake I do pray. Amen and amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Do keep your Bible open, please. The scene of the message for tonight from the Word of God. I want to preach tonight on maybe an unusual subject. To be honest with you, preacher, I don't have any notes. I may have preached it here before. I don't believe I have. But I want to preach tonight on some things I'm scared to death of. Some things I am scared to death of. Now you might say quickly, preacher, I'm not afraid. Well, I'm afraid of you if you're not afraid. I'm scared of those that's not scared. They say, what are you afraid of, preacher? May I say to you, I'm not afraid of the power of God. I'm not afraid of the promises of God. I, I, and I say this hesitant, but I'm really not afraid of the plan of God for my life. Though I do not know what the future holds, I know who holds the future. 
then God will work everything out to my good and His glory as I submit to His will for my life. But there are some things that I'm scared to death of. I'm running scared. Y'all getting real quiet on me now. I'm running scared. Let me give an illustration before I preach tonight, and then I'll bring you the message. I want to give you about three or four thoughts, Lord, with you. I read this story, or heard it rather, years ago. I can tell you how long it's been. Me and my wife was dating when I heard this story the first time. That was back in another dispensation, back when you could have a good time. Amen. But the story is told of a large rancher out west who had two or three little children, and it had a good year, and he sat to this rough cowboy who was his uh, line boss he said to him I need somebody to keep my kids out of the fire and watch my kids while my wife and I go to town and, and pay the yearly bills and buy the winter supplies and, and stock up for winter he looked at him and said why man I'll keep your kids he looked at him and said you'd let my kids get in the fire he said I promise you I will not let your children get in the fire if you want me to keep them. Well, as the story went, they couldn't find anybody else. And so one day they called this fellow in and said, Are you sure you keep our kids out of the fire and watch over them and protect them if we let you babysit while we're going to town? And he said, I promise you, boss, I'll keep your kids out of the fire. Well, they went to town, spent the day, came back home that night after dark. And when they turned down the lane to the house, they saw the blaze building plumb out the top of the chimney. They went running in the house, and the old fellow sitting way back over in the corner of the living room in a rocking chair, and the kids are back in the dining room and kitchen area playing. And they said to him, Why such a fire? He looked at him and said, Boss man, I promised to keep your kids out of fire. He said, The problem you have is, you build a small fire, and they play too close by and accidentally fall in. But when you left here, I built this big fire. I've kept it so big all day. They have not been in 20 foot of a fire since you left this morning. You know what our problem is? We've made sin too little. We made the things that make us fall not bad enough. And we play too close to the edge. And we fall into the trap of the devil that destroys our ministry and the work that God has given us to do. I'm going to preach tonight on four areas. Simple, but four areas that I'm scared to death of. In my Christian life, let me make one statement before I preach the message. I am not afraid of losing my salvation. You say, preacher, why are you not afraid of losing it? I didn't find it. Amen. If I found it, I might lose it. But I didn't find him, he found me. I didn't start it and I cannot stop it. God does not give conditional life, but He gives everlasting life to every sinner that He saves. 
for the grace of God. But since the devil knows he cannot get my soul, my salvation, then he's out to destroy whatever influence and testimony I have and rob me of the victory now and the reward later when I stand before him at the judgment seat of Christ. You say, preacher, what are you afraid of? Let me give you four things. First of all, I want to say to you, I'm scared to death of sin. One of our big problems is we've learned how to handle sin. We think. We think. Why, surely that little old sin wouldn't bother me. Did you ever think what Eve may have thought standing in the Garden of Eden? What harm could come out of eating one little piece of that fruit? But you know what the answer came out to be? Eve said, how could anything that looks so small turn out to be so big? How could anything that looks so innocent turn out to be so destructive and devastating? Sin. I'm scared of it. You say, why are you scared of sin? I saw what it does. I saw its work in the life of my friends, in the life of family members. I have wept with those that wept over sin. I have cried with those who cry because of the effect of sin. I want to tell you something, friend. You may think you can handle it, but I want to just tell you up front, you can't handle it. And I cannot handle it. And sin is a dangerous weapon the devil uses to destroy you and I in our Christian life as a people of God. Let me, let me give you something that puts fear in my soul. Sin got the first man in the Bible, Adam, fresh from the creative hand of God. Sin got the strongest man in the Bible, Samson. Sin got the wisest man in the Bible, Solomon. Sin got the closest man in the Bible, the only man in the Bible, that God sends a man after my own heart, David. Friend, I want to tell you, if sin could get Adam, if sin could get Samson, if sin could get Solomon, if sin could get get David, what makes you think you're any match for sin? You say, preacher... What, what does sin do? Let me just give you, I've got several things you want to say. Let me say to you, first of all, sin will lead you on. Sin has never said to a living human being, I'm through with you. Sin's never said to a living creature, you've done enough. Just go on back and live for God. Sin will lead you Oh, and the farther it leads you, the deeper it digs in. And the more devastating it becomes. You see, sin's got a way of starting out like a fire. It starts small, but it spreads fast. And it sees everybody the same and has no respect to a person. And it scars severely. Sin leads you 
own. How many people tonight will go to bed with tears shedding in their heart? I didn't mean for it to go this far. I never dreamed it would wind up like this. In another state some time ago, a young man came to me who was fathering a child out of wedlock. And he said to me, Preacher, I didn't mean for it to go this way. We did not plan this. I never thought this would happen. We thought we had everything under control. Sin will lead you on. Can I just say something that's plain enough we all understand it? Go back to childhood. You tell a lie. And you've got to tell another lie to prop that lie up. And another lie to cover that one up. And another. And the problem is, the more you tell, the bigger they become. And the tragedy is, the more you tell, the less they bother you. Sin will lead you on. Many young ladies have lost their virginity. The little sin of an embrace. A handhold leads to an embrace. Embrace leads to a kiss. A kiss leads to a caress. And a caress leads to losing their virginity. Did they plan on it? No. They said it would never happen to me. But sin leads you on. Number two, may I say to you, sin not only leads you on, but sin will find you out. Now, lead you on can be basically writing down notes. James chapter number 1, verse number 15, verse number 14. Then when lust is conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And when sin is finished, it bringeth forth death. And then it'll, 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 it'll lead you on. And then, my friend, sin will find you out. Numbers 32, 23. The Bible said, if you will not do so, behold, you sin against God. And be sure, your sin will find you out. You may cover it, but God will uncover it. I want to tell you something. Maybe a different take, preacher, on that verse of Scripture. But for people today, I want to tell you what sin will find out real quick in your life. Sin will find out if you're saved or not. If you can sin and get by with it and God does not chasten you, you just found out you don't belong to God. Because God said those He loved he rebuked and chastened. And the Bible said he chastened every son whom he received. And friend, listen, God don't whip the devil's youngins. If you can sin and get by with it, it's great assurance. You don't belong to God. Amen. I remember visiting the hospital. And a man who had been saved from a life of drunkenness. Lived for the Lord for several years. Got upset. Went back and grabbed him a bottle, had a car wreck, and wound up in the hospital with an upper leg crushed. And I remember visiting him in the hospital, and preacher, I never forget what he said. He said, I thank God for the wreck. Because if I could have gone the way I'm going and got by with it, I would have always wondered, am I really saved? 
Amen. Now, salvation doesn't fix you where you cannot sin. But it does fix your relationship to God where you cannot live long in sin. Salvation, being saved, does not fix you where you could not enjoy sin. If you lived your adult life before you got saved and you had your own sins, things you enjoyed, you could still enjoy them tonight. But not for long. You say, why? God would chastise you. God would try to cleanse you through the preaching of the Word of God. And if God couldn't do no better with you, God would just carry you home where He could really take care of you. God will deal with it. But not only your sin will lead you on, and your sin will find you out, but your sin will pay you off. The wages of sin is death. They've been a lot better people than you thought they could handle sin and get by with it. But they cried out with Cain, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Let me run through another cycle here. Not only sin will lead you home, sin will find you out, sin will pay you off. But my friend, sin will take you farther than you want to go. And sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. And sin will cost you much more than you want to pay. I can only mention this, but let me mention as I pass through here. Every time I make that statement, I'm reminded of a lady in the Bible by the name of Naomi. Naomi's a happy married woman, husband, Elimelech. Two sons, Malin and Chilion. But she gets dissatisfied in the house of God, the house of bread, Bethlehem, the house of bread. And she leaves God's place for her life. And she goes down, preacher, to Moab, the cursed country. But she only goes down there for a few days to sojourn until things get better in Bethlehem. But her few days of sojourning turned into ten years. Ten years and three funerals later. Buried her husband, buried both of her sons. And ten years in sin, preacher, so changed her countenance. When she left town, she was known as Naomi. And that means the pleasant one. When she come back into town, they looked at her and they said, Is that Naomi? And she said, Don't call me Naomi. I'm not a pleasant one anymore. Call me Myra, the bitter one, because the Lord hath dealt with me bitterly. She said, I went out full, but the Lord hath brought me home empty. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay. It'll cost you more than you want to pay. And then I thought about Samson. Sin will blind you. Sin will bind you. And sin will grind you. Or I could say sin will bind you. Sin will blind you. Sin will brand you. And sin will bury you. Yeah, I say this. I'm scared to death of sin because sin separates. 
Sin is like a wedge. You folk are country enough to know what a wedge is. You start to split the wood. You, you, you take that, uh, that, uh, that uh, wedge. And Brother Frazier, it's got a very small edge. But the deeper it goes, the wider it gets. That's exactly the way sin does in a life. You say, what does it separate? Sin separates a man from his creator. It gets between you and God. Then it gets between you and your church. It's amazing. You know, when you're right with God, you love church, and you can't hardly wait for church to come, and you walk in all proud and a spring in your step and a smile on your face, and, and you shake hands with the preacher and look him in the face, and then you let sin get in your life. And for some reason, you just don't like church anymore. And for some reason, that good pastor you used to have now becomes that preacher. I've watched them walk in the church when I was still pastor and preacher. Sunday after Sunday, come up here just a minute, preacher. Come up here just a minute. I've watched them walk in the church on Sunday morning and look me right in the eyes. Hello, preacher. Good to see you. How are you this morning? And I saw those same people come in and say, hello, preacher. Drop their heads. Look at the floor. Look the other way. I saw them go out the side door. I saw them go out... <coughs> But it don't only, it's not only them. The children hear what's said. And they come in and go look at that preacher like he's some wild man or something. Trying to figure out what mama was talking about when she said what she said about him. But number three, not only sin separates you from your, from your creator and from your, from your church, but sin separates you from your companion. Now you know me, most of you know me, the burden of my heart for years has been the home. I want to tell you something. If you let sin get between you and your Creator and you and your church, are you so foolish as to believe you can keep it from getting between you and your companion? I have, I have preached. I could just stand here for a long time and name people personally that I've preached to that I know. You would have thought... That couple will celebrate 50 years together. But I've seen him get out of church. And I've seen both he and she start doing things that you would have never dreamed they would do. And I've seen their smile fade away. And I saw their voice of tenderness and compassion become a voice of arrogance and hatred and strife. And I have seen both him and her whom I would have never dreamed would have ever looked at another man or another woman. Start making little gestures. I've seen him walk off and leave her and the kids. I've saw her walk off and leave him and the kids. My mind right now, I'm thinking of a man, 38 years old, three 
boys. Take off after a 23-year-old woman. Leave a precious wife. Three precious boys. Oh, you don't think it can get you? You think you can flirt around with it? You think you can play around with it? You think you can do the things that the world does and you can handle it. You've been saved and you remember over at Victory Baptist and Brother Frazier's old preacher and you think you can get by with it. I want to tell you, you better buy up a lot of Kleenexes. You're fixing to do a lot of crime. A lot of weeping. Sin separates. Now I want to, I want to say this. And I'm, I, if anybody here in this shape, preacher, I don't know it. I'm just preaching but can you imagine sin? I have saw sin take what I had thought was good mothers, and I really would not say they were not good mothers. And I've saw them walk off and leave their children. And I've saw sin take good daddies and them walk off and leave their own babies. I was in a meeting not long ago. It was a man. It was his children. And the pastor said to me, maybe I mentioned it first about where was she at. And the preacher said, Brother Blue, them kids' mama is shacking up with another woman. You say it couldn't happen to me? You're a fool. You're deceived. That's happened to folk that's been saved longer than you have. I'm sad you sin is a separator. I hate it. I'm scared of it. I'm so separated. You know, there's nobody here tonight that has marriage insurance. a child in this building tonight that has insurance that mama will be around six months from now to tuck them in the bed or that daddy will come home from work and bring them groceries. I hate it with a godly passion. I'm scared. I'm scared. I'm scared to death of sin. You say, Brother Blue, God's grace not sufficient. Sure it is. But that doesn't give us a license to play with sin. You know what most Baptists want to do, preacher? They want to see how close they can get to the edge and not fall off. I'm telling you, I'd rather be so scared I didn't even want to get by the edge. Amen. Sin separates. May I say to you, sin steals. It's a thief. It'll steal your, it'll steal your peace. It'll steal your power. It'll steal your perception. You know what's amazing? When you're really trying to do right and get close to God, it's amazing at the things you see that's wrong that you want to lay aside. But you let some little sin get back in your life. You know what sin starts saying to you? Well, that's not so bad as you thought it was. After all, you just quit that because the preacher preached against it. You never really believed it's wrong, no way. And sin 
steals your ability to discern good from evil and right from wrong. But not only sin separates, sin steals, sin scars. What a blessing. What a thrill to lay down at night and go to bed with no scars of sin in your memory. Now, let me show you something just a moment. Most everybody in here has some type of physical scar. My army identification mark when I was a teenage boy was a long scar on the left cheek. You probably never noticed I had a scar there. I'm so beautiful otherwise. You never saw my I'm so ugly otherwise. You never saw my scar. And it's grown now way out of proportion where it was when I was a child, when I was hurt. I'm not going to tell you. But every time I shave my face, that scar reminds me of something in my past. Now, please don't think I'm being disrespectful to you to say this. I have had gallbladder surgery, the kind where they cut you open. So every day when I get a shower, when I change my clothes, preacher, there's a scar. Every time I see it, it reminds me of the day that I changed my life's verse. My new verse is, Behold a Gentile indeed in whom is no gall. That just slipped in there. Well, let me show you something. Let me show you something. Let me show you something now. Preacher, I don't know anybody. I'm not trying to be personal with anybody. Look at me just a moment. You're, if, 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 I'm sure I'm going to get in trouble. I'm not trying to get in trouble. Please let me preach. I could start dealing with a man being unfaithful to his wife. And if you've ever been unfaithful, it's like a scar. It comes up there. I can start dealing about a woman being unfaithful. Any sin I name. It's a star. It stars your conscience. Preacher could come over here, me and preacher get over here in the corner, and we could start talking and look back there at you. We not, may not even be looking at you. We may be looking past you. Many tonight will cry themselves to sleep over scars that sin has placed on their conscience, on their countenance, on their character, on their career. I don't want it to happen to me. I'm afraid of it. I'm too scared of sin to play close by it. I want God, I pray daily for God, the regular for God to give me a, a holy hatred for sin. I want to shun the very appearance of evil. I don't want to have any fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. I'm afraid of it. Let me just say this and i got to move on. In my briefcase at the house, Please understand what I'm saying. I don't use it much anymore because I've about memorized it. But preacher, 
I have a prayer composition book. There's hundreds of preachers listed in that book. I write their names down so I can pray for them when I didn't remember them. I've had it a long time. I, I don't use it as much anymore. I pray for memory. I've learned how to travel uh, up and down the highways and pray for people on the side road. And that's the way I do it now. Amen. I try to pray around the world twice a week. Brother Frazier, you probably wouldn't even ever, ever find it, but I can. Look here. Way over in that composition book, unmarked, is a page of fallen preachers that I preach with. In fact, it's more than a page long now. now. I'm not talking about fellows that couldn't preach. I'm talking about fellows that was better preachers than I'll ever be. You know what to do, Brother Burton? I just sit there and look at them and remember when the power of God is on them, when they preached. We was preaching. We was at the camp meeting last week. And I saw a young man there. Pastor and I was talking about him. And Brother Sammy said, he, Brother Howard said, he's doing, doing great. He's doing real good. And I looked at Pastor and I said, I believe of all the messages I've ever heard at Faith Baptist Camp, the one his granddaddy preached on Psalms 23 stands out in my memory as one of the top. Brother Allen said, you're right. Oh, you're right. But sin got his daddy. And he's out. You say, Brother Blue, you're drawing us a bleak picture. I'm glad you're getting the message. You're proud, pride-filled ego. You don't go where you used to go, and you don't do what you used to do. And if you're not careful, you'll build yourself up so high, and you'll fall thinking you can handle sin, and you are no match for sin, and I'm not either. Let me move on number two quickly. I didn't mean to spend that long on that. But not only I'm scared to death of sin, but second, I'm scared to death of sin. I want to say this and then I got to change it, preacher, because it's an error that I still got to work on. I don't trust in it, Baloo. But yet, too many times I do trust in it, Baloo. Knowing I shouldn't, I still do. But I get to preaching like this sometimes. People look at me and say, Well, you don't look like you trust me. I got news for you, honey. I don't even trust me. Why should I trust you? You say, preacher, you're critical. No, I'm biblical. The Bible said in Philippians 3, 3, having no confidence in the flesh, none, none, none whatsoever. If you've got one ounce of confidence in yourself, you've got one ounce too much. The only good thing I can say about my flesh is every time I've given in to it, it has got me in trouble. Now, you've come with me very good that far because I've been general. But I want to get specific now. You know what I have to admit to you tonight? 
Let me, let me, let me, let me just lay a little bit of foundation. As preacher, now, y'all don't make me feel too bad. Come on, hit me. Every once in a while as a Christian, you begin to get in a little bit proud of yourself. I'm doing pretty good. Man, I haven't had a real battle, and I've been reading my Bible more, and my prayer life seems like it's getting better. I've been passing up more tracts, and, and uh, you know, I don't have as much. And I'm doing pretty good. And I got in that situation. And I made the mistake of saying, Lord, if I'm as wicked as that preacher says I am, would you reveal it to me? Oh, no. Help me, Lord. You're talking about a lesson of embarrassment. I've got to tell you some things, and I'm embarrassed to tell you, but if it'll help you, it's worth my being embarrassed. You know what I've learned? Oh, I learned I couldn't trust my eyes. I don't have to plan a second look. I don't have to plan. Boy, I tell you, I'm going to town today and I'm going to look for some flesh that I can see. And I'm going to look. I don't have to plan it. I can go to town planning on not doing it. And all of a sudden, I want to say to my, did I look again at that? Did I turn my head and say, did I look in my rearview mirror? I've said enough about my thought. Let me say one more thing and I'm going to move on. I, I got to move. I didn't mean to preach this long. I do not have to plan to think bad thoughts. Let me give you an illustration that is as good as I can do if you can help me, help me at the church, brother. But Brother Frazier, if I don't keep my emergency brake on on my thoughts, the moment I release the emergency brake, my thoughts starts downhill. You know what I discovered about me? Now, you probably don't think you're this way, but I can be sitting in a good, independent Baptist church with the choir singing and God moving, or the man of God preaching and God moving. And if I don't hold the brakes on my thought, all of a sudden, did I think that? They're not a person sitting here that will want your thoughts of this day put on a screen up here for this church service to behold. You say, preacher, why are you saying all that? Because some of you, the hounds of hell, have howled at your heel and got you thinking you're not even saved or you wouldn't have that problem, your flesh. You know what I found out about my hands? I can't trust them. My hands want to touch what they shouldn't touch. You know what I found out about my ears? I can't trust them. My hearing's getting bad, but my old ears just strange, strains to hear. Now look at me just a moment. 
I don't like cussing. I hate cussing. I don't like off-color jokes. I hate them. But boy, I'm telling you, there's some things that can be said that pampers my flesh. And I tell you another problem I got. Well, y'all, set back door on this building. In case I got to exit quick. You know what I found out about my ears? My ears enjoy hearing bad things about my brothers and sisters in the Lord. Now, I wouldn't want you to know that. I'm going to tell you, tell me all of it so I can pray for them. You know what I found out? We got one or two back that's about to die, preacher. You know what I found out about my tongue? I can't trust it either. Now look at me just a moment. I can honestly say, preacher, since I've been grown, I'm just going to put it that way, since I've been grown, I don't know one four-letter word that's ever come out of my mouth. Now I've used some four-letter words, you know, dirty words like work and bath and love, but you know them other kind of four-letter words. There's not a person in here that's ever heard me repeat a four-letter word. The only time I ever use the word hell is when I use it in the Bible context. The only way I ever use the word damn is use it in the Bible context. I don't even use them second-handed curse words like gee whiz and golly bum and doggone. And I don't even preach and say bless God. I don't see any difference in a preacher saying, bless God, and a sinner saying, by God, when both of them arose. You're welcome. You say, well, Brother Blue, if you've got your tongue that much under control, that's not tongue, that's heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaking. All your heart is is a pop-off valve for an overfield, all your... Tongue is, your mouth is, it's a pop-off valve for an overfilled heart. Whatever's in your heart's going to come out when your mouth pops open. You say, well, Brother Blue, if you don't tell dirty jokes, you don't say dirty words, and, and what does your tongue want to do? You know what my tongue likes to do? I have to watch it. It likes to talk about the brethren. It likes to spread stuff even though it may be true. But it's not edifying. I talked to this man last week on the phone. He lives miles away. But I called him. He called me. And we were talking on the phone. And I never forget. He's a year older than I am. And it's been 20 years or so. No, I've been out in in Vanzheim. It's been 25 years ago since this happened, I guess. This young man. We were both young men. He started to tell me something, preacher, about another preacher, another Christian. I don't remember the story now. And his daddy was standing there, and his daddy said, Son, don't tell that. And the young man looked at his daddy and said, Well, it's the truth. You know what his daddy said? His daddy said, That don't mean you've got to tell it. Sometimes we enjoy telling the truth on others because it makes me look better than them. I can't trust my tongue. 
I'm scared to death of sin. I'm scared to death of myself. Many great Christians will never be back where they used to be. And so it, I don't want it to happen to me. I'm scared of myself. I don't want God to lay me on the shelf. Don't you misunderstand me? There is forgiveness. But forgiveness doesn't always mean restoration to where you used to be in the point of service for God. I was preaching a meeting. Brother Frazier, I've done it for years. I don't mind telling you why I do it. When I finish preaching, I go to the back, shake hands with people. I'm not politicking. It's not that I want to, you know, be back there to show off. But I'll tell you what happens. Y'all just, you, if you get mad at this, it's your problem, not mine. I learned if I stay down here, somebody will come down here and corner me and talk to me about something that's not worth me talking about most of the time. And I don't get to speak to none of the rest of the people. So I just go back there and I shake hands with everybody. If somebody wants to stop back there and talk to me, fine. I'm not too good to listen. I enjoy listening. But I, I, you know, sometimes even a person's not even a member of the church. Catch up here and tie you to everybody. And so I, did, that's why I go back there every night and just do it. I turn it over to the pastor. Heads bowed and eyes closed. I took off to the back. I stood over on the left-hand side. And I looked across the aisle. And sitting or standing now, preacher, between about the second and third pew from the back, was a man. I never thought about it till he looked around at me. Don't get mad at me now. But I saw past his beard and his hair. He was a preacher that had driven me many miles to many meetings as a missionary. And now he's out of the ministry. When I saw him immediately, I went to cry, and I just walked over while he was praying and hugged his neck and wept on his shoulder. After it was over with, he said to me, Preacher, could I talk with you a little while? And I said, sure. We went into Sunday school room, and he told me about what had happened. I knew some of it. And then he told me, preacher, about, he said, the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, I turned my papers in, my ordination papers, my license. And I told my church I was disqualified. It wasn't really on him. It was on the wife. You can't ever blame it all on one, but I mean it was cried like a baby. I'm talking about a man that preached with the power of God, the touch of God. He's still in church. His children are grown now. I preached a meeting not too awful long ago this year. Where's where's grand where his son, his baby boy, was there and sang specials and was a blessing. I want to tell you something. God don't have to use you. And God will not use you with the power of God on your life if you let sin get in there. God will set you on the shelf. I'm going to say this. I'm on record. I'm on recording. I don't care. I need to say it. I'm going to say it. There is forgiveness. 
But there's a difference in forgiveness and God using you like he used to use you. I do not delight in the fall of any preacher. There's forgiveness for the fallen preacher. But as far as I'm concerned, there is no restoration to the pulpit, to the position of power that he had before the fall came in his life. I'd rather die than for God to say, I'm sorry, I can't use you. And lay me on the shelf. Number four, and I'm through. I'm scared to death of sin. I'm scared to death of Seth. I'm scared to death of the, of the shelf. And number four, I'm scared to death of the seat. We're headed to the judgment seat of Christ. I've got enough to give an account for. I don't want to have to face God. For the marks and the fruits of a fallen preacher. Brethren, we have met to worship and adore the Lord our God. That concludes our Pulpit Hour message for today. If you would like to order a copy of today's message, you can call our studios at 828-884-9427 or write to us at WGCR. 3232 Hendersonville Highway, Pisgah Forest, North Carolina, 28768. You can also hear today's message on our website at WGCR.net. The Pulpit Hour is brought to you by Anchor Broadcasting.